welcome to How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Hello, everyone, and welcome to How I Got Here, Mozio and Focuswire's weekly podcast about innovators in travel and transportation. Today, we have Martin Restolino of Despegar on the podcast. Martin founded Despegar 18 years, uh, 21 years ago, sorry, with four friends who met at Duke's Fuqua Business School. Uh, Despegar has grown to be the name in Latin American online travel uh, with two major brands of Despegar and Decolar, and recently acquired brands like Almundo and Best Day. Uh, thank you for joining us, Martin. Hi, thank you for having me here. Pleasure to be here. So we like to start every one of these interviews off the same way, which is for us to ask you to tell us how you got here. Huh. Um, well, actually, that's, uh, as you said, a, a long story. It started uh, almost 20 year, 21 years ago. I have much more hair than today back then. And uh, actually, the... the was this, the story of the of the company, as you said, started in in 1999, while we were studying an MBA in the in the US, and um, we created a company by a group of friends. Uh, a group of friends, and uh, I always said that we were lucky enough to live in the US between 97 and 99, which was the the internet boom, and uh, we lived there, and I think that we all shared the interest of technology, et cetera. And uh, one of us, Roberto Subiron, which was uh, the, the founder and the, the, the guy that put us together, came up with the idea of doing an online travel agency. And uh, from then we started a, a roller coaster. A roller coaster. We started a, a great, great path of 20 years with a lot of fun. So uh, after 20 years, uh, the company, as you said, is a leading travel, online travel agency in Latin America. We filed, went public in 2017 at the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, well, although I'm not involved in the day-to-day -day activities of the company anymore, I'm still part of the board of directors of the company. And that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Martin, for joining us. It's Kev here in the UK. Um, yourself and, um, you know, a group of friends started this, but it's more than just one or two co-founders. This is a fairly big co-founding team. So take us right back if you can, Martin. I mean, how did you all become friends? How did the process of, you know, you said that you suddenly decided that uh, you wanted to start an online travel agency, but that's quite a arguably a difficult thing for you know a group of friends to do with different dynamics and all those kind of things so talk us through that that makeup and the personalities that were all involved okay yeah um as you said um, yeah, it's, uh that's a key part of of the company and uh i would say that uh because we were not friends for uh, always i mean we some of, of them of us we met at the mba so uh we started time together, etc. And I think that the first thing we shared was uh, the interest for technology. Individually, each of us realized what was going on in terms of the internet boom. And we said, uh, 
we wanted to be part of that. So when Roberto came up with the idea of uh, OTA, we said, this is great. And when we started analyzing the business, et cetera, was, we realized that it made a lot of sense. But I think that first of all, what we shared was uh, the inter common interest for the technology, et cetera. Uh, and then I would say that uh, probably we hadn't analyzed that that much at that time, but uh, something that uh, I think we share more than the technology interest. We share values, etc. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, after these 20 years, we interacted and we worked uh, a lot together and uh, a lot of bad things, good things, bad things happened. And uh, I would say that the only way to be able to survive or to create that was because of the group, di group dynamics. And uh, I would say that was, when someone asked me about uh, what went good or what, what are the things that, you, why you think we were successful? I think one of the main things were about the, the group dynamics. I mean, and that came, was very natural from day one and uh, that, uh, we started working together, each one in a different role, nobody thinking about politics, nobody thinking about uh, what the other guy is doing, just yeah. focusing ourselves on doing a, a great company. And I think that that, that, was, uh, that was great and was one of the key advantages. And, and just an anecdote, but uh, as I said, today we are not involved uh, in the company and the day-to-day -day activities anymore. But uh, at some point we decided to start, uh, start some, something fresh. But what we did was uh, we bought an office and we are working together, the, the five of us, in, in different projects, but again, together again. And there is no obligation at all to do that. We are doing that because uh, after 20 years, we're still having fun doing things together. So probably yeah. that's a, a silly example, but something that shows the importance of the group, the group dynamics, and the people that you choose. Now, it's interesting because you said the, you came together very naturally and you found your roles within the company naturally. How did you decide amongst the group of you who was going to take on the commercial role and who's going to take on the IT role and who's going to be the CEO? And how to how, you know, I, I'm assuming you didn't just flip a coin or something like that i mean how did you how did you figure out naturally which roles were going to be best suited to which person um well i would say that um, there was one uh, one clear role that was the the one of the ceo that was roberto since he was the one that brought the idea and put the, the team together he was the, the ceo from day one but uh other than that i would say that uh we always worked as a group and we choose the different roles based on two things. One was um, the needs of the company. The company needed different things over time and basically based on the, the skills of each of us. And uh, for example, at the beginning of the company, I started, I was in charge of opening operations across Latin America. When that was done, then I moved to operations, etc. So I think that we, we base that a lot based on, on our backgrounds. But I would say, I would say that uh, what's very important was that we all play as a team because uh, as I said, different times of the company requested different skills. And uh, 
at some points of the company, one position was the most important and then another one. For example, when we were running out of money, the CFO was God. I mean, we were all, uh, he got all the attention. Once you have the money, you have to deliver. So the, the guy that was running commercial things or operations was uh, more important. So what's, what's funny or the good thing about this is that no matter which role do we have in the past, and uh, if that particular role was more important in a particular point of time, we all knew that we were a team and that we were working together. And that uh, if now you're the star, probably it'd be the star the next year or so. But, uh, so even more importantly, assigning the roles, I would say that was very important how we acted as a group. Yeah, uh, last one for me for a second. I mean, uh starting an online travel agency is a daunting idea for anybody and many of the internet's most successful online travel brands have often started with one thing say hotels or with flights or with packages how did you decide which particular type of product you would focus on first and how did that evolve in those very early phases um well, actually, we started mostly focusing flights, and uh, that was, I would say, partly because of uh, the technology available at that time. I mean, uh, because of the GDSs that were the, the like the, the companies that were collecting all the, the information about the flights, etc. So technology was more readily available for flights than for hotels. And that's one of the reasons why most of the OTAs started selling flights. And then um, I think it was an, a natural movement from uh, flights to accommodation and then to vacation packages. So I think that it was mostly related to the availability of the technology. In our case in particular, given that we were playing uh, the game in Latin America and the technology there was uh, much worse than our parts of the, the world, we needed to sometimes to try to get that technology and adapt that to, to the region uh, so that the availability of the technology play a bigger role in deciding which product, etc. Martin, David here. So. I want to expand a little bit on that. It's a good segue into, you know, talking about how you attack this market. You guys are currently, I think, biggest in Argentina, Brazil, and Uruguay, uh, or at least historically, maybe before you bought Best Day, which is in Mex Mexico. Um, but how did you think about, you know, sometimes people refer to Latin America as this one big market, but it's really not. Obviously, there's very local quirks. Did you guys decide to focus on one country, um, or how did you go about, you know, targeting your market? Uh, okay. No, we knew from day one that we wanted to be a regional player, and actually, the only way to succeed would be to be a regional player because um, Latin America. I mean. If you take a country as a standalone, it's not big enough, but if you take the, the, region, the whole region, it's a decent and attractive market. So we knew that to be successful and to be able to monetize all the IT investments, uh, we should play in the, in the whole region. So we had that in mind from day one, and I think that was 
was one of the, our differences between our players. And uh, as you said, of course, um, then in Latin America, the one size fits all is not the, the best case because I mean, each country has a particular flavors, interest, etc. So although we decided to be a regional player, we open operations in, in each of the countries with the local teams, etc. So it was kind of a think global, but act local. I mean, we decided to be a regional player, but we deployed local teams in each of the country to capture the knowledge of, and the taste of, and, uh, and the interest of each country. What were some of those kind of local quirks? So I know, for example, um, you guys do a lot of uh, your bookings on payment plans, for example, or at least it did at one point, right? And that's, you know, a very different uh, behavior than uh, exists in America and a lot of other places. And so how did you kind of adapt the, you know, the OTA model? And I guess Expedia was only founded a few years ahead of you in 96 and you guys were founded in 99. So, you know, what, what did you take from, you know, Expedia and say, you know, this needs to be different for Latin America? Well, uh... I would say uh, from very simple examples at the beginning to more big examples uh, later on. I mean, I, I remember in the early days that uh, there were huge discussions about the colors to, that we used in each of the home pages. Like, uh, for example, in Argentina, we like the people like to have uh, light colors. In Brazil, the people like very bright colors. So. Uh, it was a big discussion and I mean, if you put a, like a light blue, everybody, all the customers in Argentina like it that, but you go to Brazil and they say, I mean, nobody pays attention to this. So uh, from these very silly details to the type of uh, products that you choose, I mean, some countries use more financing in, in terms of uh, uh, installments where they, they buy uh, flights or, or packages than others, etc. So but I would say that today, if I have to say, uh, uh, one of the big differences is uh, of understanding or advantages of understanding the markets is uh, in terms of payments. I mean, uh, having access to local payments and uh, local payment options is a, a, a key advantage. But uh, in, in the past, as I said, in terms of uh, which uh, products to offer, which are the, the, the preferences in, in terms of uh, destinations, etc., played a, uh, a big difference. Now, um, you, you told us uh, in, in one of your first answers, Martin, that you, know, you had a, a great spirit amongst the, the founding team, but no business goes through those, certainly through those early years, without issues and problems that they need to resolve. Given that there were quite a few of you as co-founders, how did you, as a group of um, friends, as you said, resolve some of the problems that you may have faced? Was it always put into the CEO's hand to make the final decision or did you have another more uh, you know, democratic way of, of, of sorting issues out between you? No, I would say that uh, we played as a team a lot and um, we always had a pretty open discussion among, uh, among us. 
And uh, I mean, then uh, of course, at some point, if uh, especially with matters among us, etc., if someone had to decide who was the CEO, but I think that uh, we always acted as a group, and uh, most of the big decisions uh, we part, all of us we participated in them, and uh, I think that were one of the the advantages of us of being more than one and having the very different uh, ways of uh, understanding things. And uh, we always try to be pretty open in, in terms of the discussions. Uh, and that was uh, very useful. And did, when you were expanding into other countries, um, were there occasions when you thought this, this particular market is just too difficult for us because whether it was infrastructure or whether the marketing was too difficult or for some other reasons, did you, did you ever have to pull out or think of things in a completely different way because the market was so challenging that you were going into? Uh, yeah, I would say so. And, uh, I would say that the case of, we didn't pull out, but, uh, Brazil presented to us a, a big challenge and yeah. uh, basically more I mean all of the founders are from Argentina and uh, between Argentinians and Brazilians there is a big rivalry I mean, <laughs> everything so uh, uh, it was it was very hard for us to understand the Brazilian market and for them to understand that they were working with a team of Argentinians so that was uh, a big challenge and took us many years uh, to fully understand the market and to be successful there. And actually, what we did is one of us uh, went to live uh, went to to live to Brazil for for some years okay. to understand the market. And uh, internally, we always put a goal of us traveling to Brazil every month or every two months to make sure that we all understood the market because it was a and it is the biggest market in the region and uh but you really we really need to think as brazilians to make sure that we would succeed so that i would say was a a biggest challenge one of the biggest challenges and uh that's way they but we didn't pull out i mean that that's the way we approached that and i think it took time but we end up being successful there did you um i mean Despagar was there so early on in the, you know, in the history of online travel. I mean, you launched long before some of the most well-known brands that are in the market now even existed. So you're almost uh, one of the pioneers yourselves. But I'm interested, did you ever look at some of the other brands that were in the markets in other countries? So Expedia, Make My Trip, you know, Apodo in Europe, which was a big one back in the early 2000s and learn anything from what they were doing that you then brought into the way you maybe did things at Despagar at all? Yes, actually, when we started, uh, I think that uh, the biggest player was Travelocity and then Expedia. Yeah. Uh, so we, we looked a lot at them and we copied or to, we used them as a model uh, a lot. Uh, of course, we, we needed to adapt that uh, models to Latin America, what we call, we tropicalized the models. Uh, but uh, we used them uh, a lot as a model. And uh, so, but uh, for example, 
one of the big differences was that, I mean, when they started, they were mostly online. When we started business in Latin America, nobody was uh, trusting e-commerce. So we need to open call centers to, because the people uh, said, okay, I, I like the price that you have, but I'm not gonna, there is no way I'm gonna put my credit card on your website. So we need to open call centers. And at some point at the beginning, we even needed to open offices for the people to bring their credit card and pay. So yes, we use Travelocity and Expedia some other a lot, but we also need to adapt th those models to Latin America. Hmm, interesting. Right. So, yeah, it's funny, actually, that was about the question I was about to ask, because I think some point in, was it 2016 or 2017 around then, you guys phased out your call centers. And, uh, you know, I think that segues us into a very interesting uh, discussion about, in an emerging market, you know, what intermediary steps do you need to do to kind of onboard people almost and educate them about the internet in addition to starting your business. And so you mentioned the call center. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that and maybe is in general how you navigated that, that entire, uh, the entire dilemma of, of basically launching an internet business in a place that wasn't as trusting of it? Yes, uh, I, I would say that uh, we did that with a lot of confidence on what we were doing. Uh, we knew that, I mean, in Latin America, people like uh, personal relationships and they, they, they add a lot of value on that. But we, we have a clear view that uh, if the technology is good and is good for the people, sooner or later, the people will adapt it. So uh, we knew that we wanted to be uh, an e-commerce company, a technology company, and we knew that the technology will... Uh, make good for the people. So we use the call centers or the, the offices to receive people, etc., as necessary steps to reach the final goal that was to, to be a pure online uh, company. So uh, as you said, we educated the people. I mean, at the beginning, I remember that the first homepage that we have was full of uh, information uh, rather than the transactional homepage because people wanted to believe that. So I remember that we, we used to hire journalists from each country to write content for free and tips and advice because we, said we want the people to get accustomed to the brand, to the, the website. And at some point in the future, if they trust us, they will buy from us. But at the beginning, we need to focus more on giving something for free and that was information and then as i said i mean open offices i remember that people was I mean, latin america the big cities traffic traffic jam is a mess but the, although that the people were traveling or commuting an hour just to bring the credit card because they didn't want to put the credit card in the website and they said okay if they want to do that let's do that if we have to have if we have to pay parking for them i mean we'll do that because you know <laughs> some point that's going to change so i would say that we took a lot of steps but knowing that at some point that would change i mean making sure I mean, with the conviction that the technology uh, was good for the people and uh, sooner or later they would change that part so 
I wanted to segue the conversation a little bit into uh, crises and um, obviously in the industry, we're in a big one right now, but what I find amazing is that you started right before the dot-com burst. Um, and there have been more than a few Argentinian currency crises uh, and, you know, Brazilian, uh, you know, currency issues as well. And um, little fact, Mozio actually, um, about a third of our employees are uh, in Argentina and Cordoba in particular. And we were about nine years old and I have personally uh, lived through, you know, kind of employees asking for money into U.S. bank accounts so they can exchange it on the black market at a 1.5x multiple. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I know, you know, all of the, uh, you know, things that have, have gone down um, over the past nine years for Mozio with just kind of a little bit of, of exposure to your market. And uh, how can you elaborate a little bit of how you guys withstood so many you know, crises and how did you particularly think about the instability that is kind of inherent in a lot of these Latin American countries when it comes to simple things like payments? Yeah, I would say that um, you get accustomed to, to crisis and uh, basically we, we know and we knew from from day one that we, I mean, you used to live with crisis. And one of the things that we did to, to counter that um, or to mitigate that risk was to have operations in many different countries. Because in Latin America, you always know, you know that you will always have a country in crisis. If it's not, of course, Argentina, where I'm from, and Venezuela are the, the premium ones, the ones that have a crisis every <laughs> year. But if it's not Argentina or Venezuela, it's Mexico, Brazil, or Colombia. So you know that you will have always a, a crisis in one country. So one thing that we do is that let's be, we have to be in many countries. So we'll always have a crisis, but then we will have countries that will have crisis. And uh, I would say that then, I mean, you get accustomed to that. You get accustomed to be more flexible. And, uh, you know, at the end, uh, I also think that, I mean, crises generate opportunities and uh, it's, it's not just a phrase. I mean, in our case, for example, in, in 2001, in Argentina faced a, a very big crisis. And, uh, but for us, it was the opportunity to build a brand almost for free because nobody wanted to put money on commercials and on advertising. And so we went to see the airlines and the hotels and we said, I mean, if you give, some, give us some tickets and uh, some room nights, we can do a, a combined com campaign with you and us. And, uh, and we say, okay, that's good. And then we went to the TV, TV shows and the radios and we said, okay, you, we have these tickets and these nights to do a, a a trip for the for the I mean, the people at the TV. So and uh, in exchange of that, we can uh, we can have our brand in in, in your TV show. And they they said that that's great. So that was a way in, in which instead of investing money and putting money, we just use tickets and room nights from our players to develop a brand. So I would say that I mean. In many cases, and uh, crisis generate opportunities. So you have to have an open mind for that. Did you ever 
I, I, I remember, you know, here in the UK, there was a, there was a, a, a fairly long period of time where economists and politicians and people in the travel industry were always talking about the BRIC economies, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. And, you know, Brazil was one of the countries that you launched in as, as well. Did you ever feel that you had to live up to some kind of expectations from the rest of the world to make things work there because there was so much interest economically in Brazil in particular, being such a success story as a country economy? Yeah, I would say I remember that, that time and uh, when that happened, yeah, there was a time in which our investors said that they just care about Brazil and they didn't care about the rest of Latin America. And at some point they even say, I mean, your name should not be Despegar anymore. Your name, the name of the company should be Decolar, which means, which is the brand that we use in Brazil. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that probably, I mean, for some time we put more focus in Brazil because of that, and we got more pressure from them because uh, that's Brazil, 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 and Brazil. But uh, other than that, I would say that, I mean, we, of course, we agree that Brazil was the, the, the biggest market for us and was the more, most important one. And, uh, but we always try to have a long-term view about uh, what to do. So uh, when everybody was crazy about Brazil, we said, okay, yeah, Brazil is really important, but uh, we are not, we were still gonna pay attention for the rest of the countries, etc. And then when something wrong, but that happened in Brazil and uh, people were not thinking about Brazil anymore. I said, okay, well, Brazil is still important. So yes, we got some pressure, but uh, especially with Brazil, but uh, other than that, uh, not a big deal. Talk to us a little bit, if you can, Martin, about um, you know, 2014-2015, when I'm guessing that's probably when your conversations with Expedia started because they invested a very sizable amount of money in the company in, uh, in, in 2015, $270 million. I mean, what was, the, what was the thinking as a founding team and as a management team and as, you know, in the conversations that you would have had with your investors at the time about that approach and taking that money from such a big, end, you know, a, a big global player like Expedia? Um, it was a big decision, I would say, but um, in general terms, I, we were working with Expedia as commercial partners yep. before that. So we knew Expedia for a while and uh, we had a, a very good commercial relationship uh, with them before them investing in the company. So that was, uh, I would say, something that, that helped. Uh, helped it. But um, other than that, I mean, we, from day one, we knew that uh, we were not able to, were not able to build a company just ourselves. So we always relied on money or investment from third parties. At the beginning it was uh, banks and private equity firms, actually a French travel group, a co-investor in the company at the beginning. So I would say that we were accustomed to have a big 
holders and big partners, etc. Of course, Expedia was kind of was a little bit different because uh, some way we compete. Uh, but uh, I think that was a deal in which both both parties thought that uh, there were a, was an advantage of of doing that because uh, there were a lot of while we compete in some markets. We also have a lot of uh, complementary business. For example, uh, they gave us uh, access to all of the networks of their network of hotels out of mm -hmm. Latin America, and they are taking advantage of our hotel networks in the re network in the region. So I would say that uh, it was a, a deal that uh, made a lot of sense for, for both parties. And, uh, and also we knew them in advance from uh, previous commercial relationships. So although it was a very big decision, it was not a, a tough one. David? Yeah, so Martin, you said something interesting earlier when you, you talked about um, how you went to these uh, hotels and flight uh, and air, uh, airlines, excuse me, and got free flights and hotel rooms uh, and then went to the the TV shows and got them to kind of like put your brand on. And I love that because it's just like a win-win. And I almost feel like, you know, you've, uh, and I, I think this is like what I see with some of the best startups, your value add is creativity almost. Like you didn't actually have the hotel room. You didn't have the audience, but you were the creative person who actually could like match them up. And, you know, this is maybe a little bit of an open-ended question, but I'd love if you have any other stories like that, you know, just, you know, very, very bluntly, we, you know, I think those are the types of things I don't see startup entrepreneurs doing enough these days is kind of figuring out how you can, you know, arrange everyone around you add value without actually spending any financial capital yourself, um, but getting your, that positive brand equity, uh, you know, out of it. Um. Yeah, I would say that that was a, a clear example. Uh, and I don't know, I, I something story happened at the beginning. When were, um, I mean, as I said, when we started uh, the business in Latin America, nobody was doing anything in the internet. And uh, it, was, uh, and it was very, uh, we decided to partner with local travel agencies. Uh, at the beginning, so that we didn't uh, have to spend too much time on the back office and we could spend more time on developing the brand and the technology. So we needed to convince uh, one of uh, each of the travel agencies in, 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 the, in each country to say, okay, we're going to give you traffic and sales leads and you're going to pay us a commission for that. It's a win-win and uh, but although it was pretty clear that it was mutually beneficial for, for everyone, I mean, it took us a huge effort to convince the, them to do that. And uh, so we, we needed to spend a lot of time and effort convincing the, the travel agencies to partner with us. Uh, and uh, it was tough, but it was another example that we use to, at that time not to save money but to save time because we said if we wanted to be a travel agency a legal travel agency from day one in each country is going to take us like two years so why don't we put 
more emphasis in the technology, in the brand, and we partner with a local player in each country uh, to, to do that. And then I would say another, another anecdote that probably was uh, in which we use uh, a lot of creativity and uh, play very well was at, at the very beginning, we didn't have too much money to start the company, but we had the network of uh, fellow students from the FBA. So we call our fellow students in each of the countries in which we were opening uh, um, operations, I mean, someone from Brazil, Mexico, Chile, Argentina, etc. And we said to them, I mean, you, we know each other from the MBA, uh, we wanted to open, open this business, and uh, we don't have too much money, and uh, we don't have money to hire a law firm, a consulting firm, etc. So if you can help us and you want to be part of the project, you can help opening the business, giving local advice, giving us local advice, etc. And we can give you a, a stock option plan on, on the company. So uh, it was like we opened uh, the network of countries, like I remember six countries in three months with almost no money, uh, just using the, the connections that we have from the MBA. So uh, it was uh, a pretty, pretty fast and uh, low cost launching of the, of the company. So I've just one or two for me, really, um, before we kind of wrap up, Martin. I mean, just talk us through a little bit about the that road leading up to the company going public, and that that's the first part of the question. And I suppose I, I think for me, the more interesting part is often how does that feel when you when you list your company on the public markets. And then you all started stepping down from your particular roles. You know, this was your, your child that you'd all helped create. And suddenly you're all starting to step away. I mean, Damien came in as the CEO and you're now all doing other things. How does that feel as a founder to kind of, kind of let things go? It's almost like the child has grown up and left home almost. But I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that kind of almost psychologically? Um, well, I would say that, I mean, it was a privilege for us to be able to live the, the whole process of creating a company, uh, yeah. making a project, making it successful, and making it so successful that uh, the company can succeed you. And uh, so if I had to say something, thank you. I mean, I was... We are really proud and uh, we think that we are privileged of, of doing that. Um, regarding the IPO, I, I would say that, I mean, we, we, always, we have always seen that as a natural step. Uh, although we were always focused more on building the company and being the number one company rather than uh, an exit strategy. I mean, our goal was always to bring the, the largest company in Latin America uh, in, in travel. And, uh, but we knew that at some point, because of the size of the company, etc., it was, it was uh, making an IPO was a, the clear path. 
so basically it was a process that uh, we started preparing like uh, I would say three years ago um, in terms of uh, preparing the system, the legal structure, administrative structure, the team, etc. Uh, to have a company ready for, for an IPO. And, uh, and I would say that uh, when we, the, the company went public, uh, it was a, a dream came true. Seeing the, of the company, seeing the baby, the exchange was a, a privilege, was so great. I mean, after so many years, so many efforts, so, many passion, so much passion, uh, that was uh, great. So, I mean, uh, everything we can say is gratitude. And uh, then, Regarding the decision of uh, stepping down, etc., I, I think that I mean was also a natural thing. Was something that at some point we wanted to do to have a fresh start, and uh, was a, a great decision because uh, basically, as I said, uh, it was a, a clear example of uh, that we built something that would succeed us. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Uh, a, a very, very last quick one from me. I mean, what, uh, briefly, what one thing do you miss about running the company as a founder now that you've, now that you've left the business behind you? I know you're still involved as a board director. What's the one thing that you miss about the company? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I miss something. Uh, <laughs> So, maybe uh, nothing maybe you don't miss it anything at all possibly i think uh, i got a good balance because i'm still involved uh, not in today today activities i'm still involved as part of the the as a board member and um, still work, we are still working together with the founders doing different things etc so i would say that um, we're in the best of both worlds okay well that's great i mean it sounds like you've ended up in a, um, a, very, a very good place, both you know, professionally and personally, the way everything kind of worked out so well with the, uh, the creation and the growth of the company and then the, the eventual listing on the public markets. You know, we obviously haven't even touched upon what's been happening this year, but uh, certainly the backstory to Despagaro is, is really interesting. And we, we really thank you for joining us on this episode of How I Got Here, Martin. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure and hopefully also it's a good idea for someone to start doing some entrepreneurship projects as well. <laughs> okay. Uh, again, thanks so much, Martin. This is another episode of How I Got Here. These are Mozio and Focuswire's uh, weekly discussions with the entrepreneurs and innovators in travel and transportation. Uh, we thank you as always for listening. If you're a non-subscriber, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and use the usual places. Leave us a review, leave us some feedback. Uh, if you think you are a founder that's got a good story to tell, we're always interested to hear people that might want to uh, pitch their story to us and get on the show so you know where to find us in all the usual places as well on mozio.com and also focuswire.com for me so again thanks ever so much to everybody for listening thanks again to martin and on behalf of david and i thanks ever so much to everybody for tuning in we'll see you next time Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week. Thank you.